all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to be talking about the health issues that affect you most. That's right. We've got a whole hour to address your health concerns or maybe somebody close to you. So give us a call today. We would love to hear from you. You can share your comments and questions with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC, and you have tuned into Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We are glad that you are listening to us this morning. We'll be taking your calls there during this hour concerning any kind of issues that you have with your health care, or perhaps it's somebody in your family. We don't have any age limits here, so we take children, adults, senior adults, everybody. Maybe it's some friends that you're just worried about. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or maybe you're not able to call us right now, and that's okay. You can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline. Dot org. Hope everybody is enjoying uh, the summertime. Actually, this is sort of summer-fall. We've got these little hints of different uh, uh, things to come, uh, good things to come, with a little respite from the heat. Hope everybody is taking precautions. If you're outside, though, about... Um, you know, just about overheating out there. Certainly that's a risk if you're working outside or if you've not been used to being outside. Uh, even if you are, uh, you need to be hydrating appropriately and uh, take frequent breaks. If you can work during the uh, edges of the day, that's early in the morning or later in the afternoon, that certainly can uh, cut down your risk of heat exhaustion. And don't forget about your pets, too. That's important. Small kids tend to get, uh, uh, are also a group that tends to get dehydrated uh, a little bit faster. So you want to make sure that they have access to water and take frequent breaks on coming inside. So always something we deal with during the summer here in the south. Uh, the good news is we don't have a lot of snow, so uh, maybe that's a good, bad thing. But anyway, just uh, take some precautions out there. Uh, lots of stuff in the news right now about vaping. I did want to mention this. Um, you know, there's been our fir- unfortunately, there's been the first reported attributable death to vaping. This has been something that pulmonologists and other physicians have been warning about for years, though, as we've seen such a rapid rise in e-cigarettes and vaping. Uh, it is a, a uh, multi-billion dollar industry here in the U.S. and really worldwide. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of the people who are vaping are younger people. So there's anywhere from 20 to 50 percent of people who are vaping. But in the state of Illinois, they've identified their first death from uh, vaping. So right after vaping, it was a young person uh, who unfortunately died. And uh, in addition to that, right now, I just looked up some statistics earlier. So there's about 193 uh, severe respiratory illnesses that are attributable to vaping in 22 states. 
Um, and these, and you would think, okay, well, maybe this is just older individuals and they're having other kind of respiratory problems. Well, they're not. They're mostly, the average age is around 22, 23, um, and it's individuals that are otherwise healthy. And part of the problem is, you know, you just don't know those chemicals are not designed to be absorbed in the lung. And even if they are chemicals or medications or other substances, coloring, fragrances that have been tested through other means like tasting, delivering it through the lungs, that is not a normal way that the body handles those substances. And you can uh, you can cause a severe uh, reaction to those tissues. We don't know uh, how big this is going to be and how bad it's going to be, but I would predict some regulatory changes down the road for that. Uh, we really need that. This is uh, Southern Remedy this morning. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you. Uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So, Dr. Jimmy, let me jump in here with a, a kind of a follow-up on vaping. I'm, I'm curious. I, you know, when you see people vaping, there's those huge vapor clouds. So I'm wondering if the frequency with which teens are vaping and then also it seems like they're taking more of the vapor in than they would if they were smoking a regular cigarette. Do you think those two... Uh, things have anything to do with what we're seeing? Yeah, it could. And a lot that's a, the hypothesis of a lot of people. It's, it's a little bit easier to take in. Lung tissue is designed to transfer small molecules, so oxygen, carbon dioxide across membranes that are one cell layer thick. So that's a, that's a membrane that you can, you can damage uh, pretty easily. And if you think about, uh, you know, the air that we breathe, that's fine. It goes in, it goes out, and you transfer that to blood vessels well. And it also has a lot of vasculature to the lungs, so because it has to transfer that directly into the bloodstream. Well, all these different chemicals in the aerosols, you know, people have said, well, this is just water vapor. That's not a bad thing. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, that's not something at the concentration that you have. Even if you didn't put anything in there, that is something totally different that the lung is used to uh, to seeing. And that tissue can be damaged in a big way. It's not like pouring something over your skin where you have these stratified layers of epithelium. And uh, this is, a again, a one-cell layer that transfers. It's meant to transfer gas, not these things that we're inhaling. And... Again, if you have substances that if you ingested might be legal and might be okay, uh, if you inhale those, that can increase the potency of them. It can increase the toxicity that they have in different places. There are people doing all kinds of crazy stuff, uh, putting all kinds of things in there. Uh, it is it is a easy way to deliver it to the body, but it's also a very easy way to damage those lungs. So, yeah, I think, Kevin, you're right. That the, the way those things are delivered or certainly a uh, uh, it's an issue and you just don't think about it I mean people have sort of it's been marketed as something that unfortunately you know it's a it's one way to get off a cigarette some people have marketed that way really don't have strong evidence for that when it's been studied uh, it's it's uh, even the you know the uh, uh, a lot of people who were claiming that early on have changed their minds about it and in addition to that, it certainly can have a lot of other effects. People say, well, these are just infections right in the lung. It's not. Actually, that's not what is causing the damage in these people nationwide. So uh, if, you, if you're vaping, I would, uh, I would really urge you to try to, to quit, um, you know, in the best way that you can, whether that's cold turkey or wean yourself off of it. Uh, it, it's not looking like that is a healthy thing for you to do for your lung tissue. You may quit smoking, and that's great, but there's plenty of other good ways to quit smoking out there uh, that don't involve vaping. So I would just caution you for that. Certainly for kids, we need a lot more um, we need a lot more scrutiny with that because I, I don't. I mean, I see a ton of kids just driving around. Uh, you can see that water vapor coming out the window, and it's a you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year old there uh, vaping away, uh, and it's way easy to lace whatever the the vaping uh, liquid is with other things, and uh, that's part of the problem. Is there's so many other things you can do, whether that's THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, or you know whatever else. Uh, synthetic marijuana is a big issue you can reach much, much higher concentrations of synthetic marijuana that is much, much more toxic than uh, uh, naturally grown marijuana. So 
tons of stuff there, and uh, we we just we we need to really look at this more with research and understand it. But unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of the effects of it. Uh, in young individuals that should not be affected. So keep that in mind just a little bit out there. Hey, talk to your legislators, too. That's a great thing to bring up with them and say, hey, we're concerned about this, and uh, what are we going to do about it in the state of Mississippi and in other surrounding states? This is Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, and uh, talking about all kinds of things today. Don't have to be talking about lung issues. I'm sure somebody out there's got a uh, a problem or a question or a complaint about something that's going on with them. Maybe it's a symptom that has popped up. Maybe it's something that you've dealt with for years and just want a second opinion about it. Or maybe you're just curious about a new medication that somebody's put you on or you've heard uh, somebody mention. You can uh, reach us this morning with those questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Those emails, we try to uh, address those from time to time on a program. We'll have some upcoming programs in the weeks to come where we just concentrate on those emails, try to do that uh, frequently. So the emails really are good. They really address a lot of different things that other people uh, might be thinking about. So encourage you to do that if you've got a, if you've got a question about something. Um, what about, you know, cardiovascular disease is a big deal, per, particularly here in the South and in, in Mississippi. Uh, fit, it's the, the, the leading still cause of death, particularly in, in developing countries. So in the industrial wor- world, those of us that live in America, uh, it accounts for almost 50 percent of deaths annually. And of the people who survive that, who don't die, that's another about 14 million or so individuals who suffer form, some some form of, of cardiovascular disease. And those are things like coronary artery disease, so the arteries in your heart uh, sort of narrow down, and you can have a heart attack with that. Uh, congestive heart failure, so that's another condition that weakens the heart muscle where it's not able to pump effectively. And then arrhythmias are another one that affects the heart. So those are the abnormal uh, heart rates and heartbeats. Um, um, uh, that's called an arrhythmia. So of that number, you'd have about a million people of that 14 million who have survived a heart attack. So they've had, you know, either a major heart attack or a slight heart attack. And, you know, there's a lot of different things. People say, well, I had a mild heart attack or I had a, a severe heart attack. Really, that's that's talking about the amount and the, the location of the muscle in your heart that's been damaged. So just like the rest of your musculature, the heart is a, is a muscle that requires oxygen it requires blood flow to it and if that blood flow gets narrowed that heart muscle can die and be damaged and it can cause the heart itself to not uh, beat appropriately because the heart it also generates a heart beat itself it's one of it's a cool tissue actually it's sort of half of a neurologic tissue and half of a of a muscular tissue so it actually generates its own electrical system and has has little fibers that transmit that down in into different places in the heart. If that gets damaged, you can have an abnormal heart beat as well. So a million people who survived that. And then if you look at heart transplant, which is really taken off, that's about 300,000 patients. Uh, I'm sorry, that, that undergo coronary bypass surgery. Of you know, Sometimes you have to have bypass surgery. But we also have a large number uh, who, have, uh, who are on the transplant list and will have transplants. Well, traditionally, for those who had sort of, quote, a mild heart attack, we had something called cardiac rehab. And, you know, if you think about that, if you've damaged your heart muscle years ago, decades ago, we used to said, take, you know, go home, rest, don't overexert yourself. You may want to cut back what you do and just just sort of, you know, don't don't overexert yourself, don't do anything. Well, now we know that you can actually benefit from doing cardiac rehab. And this is really training your muscles and your heart to be stronger in what it does. And it's a regimented program. It's very uh, individualized to the person on what they can do in their particular condition and the the level of, of heart disease that they have. But your cardiologist can prescribe it. It's often in conjunction with physical therapists. But there's about... Uh, uh, there's a, in the millions of people who uh, either undergo uh, cardiac stenting, they've had a heart attack, uh, or if they've had congestive heart failure even, that would qualify for this. And we used to just carve out the, the people who just barely had had, you know, just a little bit of heart tissue that was 
was injured. Now we know uh, it's actually useful for people who have larger amounts of um, of tissue damage. So the objectives with that, why do we do it? Well, it can it can sort of uh, cut back on the effects of heart disease, uh, some of the things that sort of uh, go downstream once you have that. It can limit the risk for uh, having another heart attack or sudden death from that. It can alleviate symptoms of cardiac disease, which are often uh, chest pain or chest pressure. And uh, it can sort of slow down the stopping up of those arteries, too, by getting good exercise regularly. And then finally, getting people back to doing what they need to do with their families, with their jobs, with their friends. This is Southern Remedy. We uh, are here live this morning taking your calls. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, plenty of time to address your questions. So call us now. is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, live, taking your calls. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You know, if you're older, if you're, uh, I always say older rather than old, there's a lot of things that you have to deal with as you get older, and constipation is one of them. It's a very common thing. We've got a lot of drugs now that are out there that can help with this, particularly if you're on other medications. Sometimes it's a problem of getting older and your your gut just doesn't work as well as it should to move things through in an appropriate manner. Uh, but there's a lot of medications that are out there that you can choose from. But if you're older, you might want to question whether you should be on a couple of them. There's a couple of older medications that work well. However, or at least they were touted to work well. But now we've got a lot more information. And uh, one of them is docusate. That's the common name for colase or generic name for colase, rather. So uh, it's supposed to soften the stool and uh, prevent constipation. But uh, some recent studies have shown that if you compare it to something like psyllium or metamucil, metamucil actually works better to bulk up the stool with things that can sort of move it through. So you might want to think about that. There are some some better alternatives to uh, to constipation. And you can have um, you can have some side effects with that colase. So there are some medications as you get older that sort of a list of them that we look at. And geriatricians are experts at this about looking at different things that uh, you're taking and say, you know, that's worked for 20 years, but we're getting to the point where as the body changes and the systems change and how they process different medications, we might want to look at changing that. So listen to your geriatrician about that if you're concerned about some of those medications ask your physician it might be time to take a new look at things and uh, try something a little bit different all right we're going to go to our first caller we got dennis in starkville good morning dennis thank you for calling this morning yes good morning to you my question is this um around the beginning of december because of my the help i'll need i need hip replacement surgery uh-huh and can you tell me what generally happens afterward in other words the recuperation time and the physical therapy that goes with it sure so this is a total hip are they doing like the the traditional ball and socket total hip replacement i think it's probably a total hip but i'm not sure because okay 
Yeah, so so they're different. It's di- it differs from patient to patient, and sometimes there's extenuating factors that make this a little bit harder. But basically, what they're doing is the top part of your femur, which is the long bone in your thigh, where it uh, fits into the what's called the acetabulum. So the acetabulum is the part of the hip that's uh, it's a ball and socket joint. And uh, you've probably seen x-rays. You know, your your orthopedist is probably going to show you those and say, hey, this is how bad the damage is. If you've had uh, particularly something uh, like osteoporosis, uh, excuse me, osteoarthritis that has damaged that joint space and now it's sort of bone on bone, you're having a lot of mobility problems and pain, a hip replacement might be for you. And basically what they do is they there's different types of devices that they use, but basically they're taking off that part of the femur, that upper part of it, and replacing it with a metal or metal that has some slick coated stuff on it. It's really fancy materials these days. And then doing something similar in the in the hip uh, socket itself. Uh, now, there are some differences. Everybody's a little bit different in their problems, but that's the basic thing. So it's a fairly involved surgery. Uh, usually, you're going to stay in the hospital two to three days. If you have other medical conditions, you may have some complications uh, where you stay a little bit longer or have to go to a rehab facility uh, that can monitor you while you're doing rehab. But rehab is usually very early on that. Uh, you may be surprised about how quick they get you up and moving around and do some mobility with that hip. Um, early movement and uh, and getting that hip moving uh, in, in all kinds of different directions that it moves in and strengthen the muscles around it is very important. Uh, Dennis, you may, some orthopedic surgeons are doing, instead of uh, post-operative therapy, they do it before the surgery too. So they may want you to be doing some things to go ahead and strengthen the muscles around the joint. And there's some different kinds of things they can do for that to get ready for the surgery. And that can speed your recovery too. Um, But usually you're looking at six to eight weeks, uh, sometime around there, of formal physical therapy. Of course, if you continue that afterwards, you're going to do better. Uh, but generally after about six to eight weeks, most people are moving around uh, pretty good. They are probably going to give you some uh, device. They may give you a device like a, a walker or a cane uh, that can help you, uh, you know, sort of stabilize things. Uh, but that's that's sort of what to look at. That's an excellent question to, to uh, ask your surgeon, though, because they're going to know exactly uh, even much more specific than than I am about how long it's going to take in your, your particular case. And that way you can plan on different things, like if you've got, you know, time off of work or those kinds of things. I live in a two-story house, mm-hmm. and my bedroom is upstairs, and my full bath is upstairs. I won't be able to get up and down the steps, will I? Yeah, it's going to be difficult. I think uh, at first that's going to be really difficult. Now, after a few weeks, that's another story. You may feel good enough, and that will certainly be one of the things they ask you in rehab you know, tell us about where you live. Tell us about the things you do on a day-to-day basis, and they're going to try to get that as your goal of getting you back to that place to do that. In the meantime, they may be able to do something in your house through home health. So uh, I would go ahead and let your surgeon know about that, your social work. They've got a whole team there that they can uh, they can uh, lean on to help out. There may be some things to do in your house in the meantime that can help you out, like a uh, you know, a commode downstairs or or something like that, maybe a, a bed downstairs uh, that so you're not having to go up and down the stairs right at first. Okay. And I also have a dog, so I'll have to have probably my adult son take care of my dog for about two months then? Uh, you may not. I'm, I'm, you know, certainly if you're worried about a risk of falling, if the dog's up underneath you a whole lot, I could see that. But I, I think you'll be able to, uh, you know, to bend up and down pretty good. Um, I think you'll be surprised about how fast you can do that. Okay. That's encouraging because I we, live alone. and We all heal. We, we heal better with our pets, don't we? Yeah, they're more important than people. <laughs> <laughs> you said that, Dennis, and I didn't. But uh, I, I know what you're saying. They, they're, man, that that uh, that dog love, man, that they can uh, just uh, look at you and you can pet them. And, you know, therapy animals, they have a lot to that. So, uh, yeah, you, you need to keep that dog there as much as possible. Okay, well, thank you for your help today. All right, Dennis, good luck to you. 
Yeah, it's a common surgery, you know, that people have. And uh, some people get frustrated with their orthopedic surgeon. They'll at, they'll tell me about it. They'll say, you know, you know, I'm just hurting in my hip or my knee. And my orthopedic surgeon said, uh, you know, I ask him, when is it going to be time for surgery, for replacement of the joint? And they say, well, you, the surgeon tells them back, well, you'll know when it's time. And uh, they come back to me and they're like, I don't understand why they keep telling me that. Like, this is worthless information. What they're saying is when the pain gets worse enough, uh, you know, basically you can have bone on bone for a long time and it doesn't cause, you know, it's causing some problems long term. But you people get around with it and certainly sometimes have pain, have daily pain, but it's manageable. Uh, And everybody's different. That's the thing about pain. Some people just react differently to it. Uh, but usually you reach a point where you're like, you know what, I think it's I think it's not worth the pain and I really want to be more mobile in what I do. And uh, artificial joints have come a long way, uh, not just uh, not just hip, knee, shoulder, even uh, even some of the smaller joints. Uh, there's a lot of research in on uh, on the ankle joints now, which is a very complex joint about uh, ways to uh, to help out people who are having ankle problems. So uh, it can it can give you a lot of mobility, uh, if not the you know certainly more mobility probably than you have right now in a lot of cases. But uh, something to talk about to your orthopedic surgeon, uh, ask them about complications, ask them about their personal uh, experience with their own patients, and then ask if you can talk to some of the patients who've had some of those things done. That's always a great idea, so you can sort of hear firsthand about somebody else's experience. So. All good things to do if you're having uh, joint problems. All of our joints wear out over time. That's just uh, they can't last forever, no matter what. Um, but that's a common thing to uh, to deal with from time to time. This is uh, the Southern Remedy, the number to call if you'd like to ask us any question this morning. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Terry after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you live this morning. The number to call if you would like to reach us about a question about your health care is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Terry in Tupelo, Mississippi. Good morning, Terry. Thank you for calling. Good, good morning. Let me preface my call with saying my wife told me that if I was a horse, she would have taken me out back and shot me. <laughs> I hope she's okay. That's that puts things in perspective, doesn't it, Terry? So we we sort of get that picture. Okay, so that's a good that's a good preamble to this. So my main reason for calling is about my back, but I did have my ankle joint uh, replaced, uh, actually removed. They put a piece of bone and four screws in. It was the best thing that I've ever done in my life. Oh, really? That's a, that is a complex joint. Uh, it just uh, it has all kinds of different movements to it. I'm glad you had a good outcome with that. There's a lot of good techniques that they have now that they can do. Yeah, it was awesome. So here's my deal. I have a bulging disc in my between my L1 and L2, and 
uh, doctor that I'm seeing, they do injections about once a month, but it only lasts for about two weeks, and I'm right back to being in really kind of incapacitated pain if I try to do any work around the house. Right. Uh, and my question is, is what is there anything else they can do uh, to relieve that pain? I mean, I, I don't want to have surgery, mm-hmm. but if I have to, I will because the pain is so bad. But I'm not sure you can operate on a bulging disc. But yeah, you, I just have a... Yeah, there, there's a couple of things you can do. Um, so they can they can actually take that disc out. There's a lot of things you can. Uh, it depends on where it's pushing and everything. And they can sort of if it's just one vertebra though between L1 uh, and L2, that's sort of the the lower part of your back for everybody who's not familiar with that. So L stands for lumbar. Um, then they may can just stabilize those two vertebrae together. It really you really wouldn't lose that much movement with that but there's a lot of other things they can do now with uh there's there's all kinds of different different techniques of doing it um it it what happens is that disc presses on other things uh, in particular nerves and that's what causes a lot of the pain so if they're already doing injections and that's not working i don't know that you're going to get a whole lot of relief from you know other modalities uh save surgery but um yeah, there's there's just not a whole lot of other things to do if you've done the injections. Now, certainly physical therapy can work because basically what you're doing is you're helping to stabilize those core muscle groups that help stabilize the, the spine and takes a lot of the pressure off the spine and puts it on those muscles. So uh, I certainly would, would look into that. But if you're at the point where you're having it every month and it's only lasting two weeks, I mean, half the time you're in pain you're not able to move around, I think I would explore surgical options and just ask, like, what are my options surgically that they can do? Um, and that might help you. I mean, if it was multiple levels up and down the spine, and, I mean, that's that may be a different issue. But back surgery is one of those things you want, and back surgeons will tell you this, you want to delay as long as you can unless you're having a lot of problems like inability to walk or uh, you're having severe you know, pain with it. Um, but, uh, if you look at the people who have chronic low back pain five years out and you compare two different groups, those who've had surgery and those who haven't that do other things, then it's about the same outcomes at five years, but there are minimally invasive ways to do it, particularly if it's just one disc that's ruptured or a disc that's bulging. And that can, uh, that can certainly, uh, that be a lot less a risk of having some complications. Well, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to... The thing about it is those two muscles that run up your back, they get real tight. Yep. And I guess that's because of the nerves. Yep. And uh, so I'm going to start looking at more, uh, you know, other options, at least before my wife takes me out back and shoots me. Yeah, we need, to, we need to avoid that at all costs. Uh, yeah. All I, right. Thanks, it, Doc. All right. Good luck to you. Yeah, that's uh, we don't need anybody to get shot on Southern Remedy. That's not a good thing to do unless it's a uh, immunization, right? So that's uh, the only kind of shots we give here. This is uh, Doctor Jimmy with you this morning on Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Jerry, who is on the road. Good morning, Jerry. Hey, good morning, Doctor Jimmy. I appreciate you taking the time, and I support MPB on a monthly basis. Ah, thank you for your support. We appreciate that. Well, I hope all you're listening to because it's, it's, it's invaluable to me personally, and it should be told. The reason I'm calling you for is I'm a pretty athletic guy. I ride my bicycle three to 400 miles a month. Uh, I do a lot of core workouts, stuff like that, and I've been putting off shoulder surgery really for both my shoulders and uh, medial, medial epicondylitis surgery on my left arm forever. And I'm just wondering if... Whenever I talk to this to North Peak surgeon a while back, it's like you get the surgery done, you're in a sling for six weeks, and then it's six months to a year recovery. I, I just really don't want to be out of the saddle that long. I mean, yeah. is, there any, is there any workaround on this? or Is it completely torn, or is it, do you know if it... it, it it's about uh, one centimeter deep, about three centimeters long. 
That's pretty big. So, uh, yeah, so the, the rotator cuff muscles are not the ones, the muscles around the shoulder that you can see on the outside. They're small muscles. There's four of them, and they help uh, position the, the top portion of the humerus that's in your upper arm, the bone in your upper arm, as it relates to the shoulder joint. So it has to be in correct relationships, and particularly those activities where you are reaching up and over uh, the, the top of your shoulder. Usually these are injuries where you you know, catch something on an outstretched arm or there are overuse injuries that you're reaching up and over. And um, I'm sure that you have already, Jerry, done all the physical therapy stuff that you can on doing that. That can help a lot because you're strengthening those other muscles. But a tear is different than tendonitis. And a tear can't really heal itself very well. And uh, it needs to be, uh, the, the whole tendon needs to be repaired. Tendons take a long time to heal up which is why, you know, they mentioned the sling and then the re- intense rehab after that. Um, I'm not aware if the tear is that big that you could do anything different. Um, you know, I, the, sometimes they can do some... You want to be careful with injections, particularly with a big tear, because you can actually... Uh, a lot of steroids into the joint space can actually make that tear worse over time. Um, but... Sh- well, that's why, yeah, because you don't want to, you end up injuring the tendon, you reach a point where you don't need to do any more. Yeah, I think you may have to bite the bullet and do that. I know people who have done it, and it, it is a long time in recovery, and they've gone back to being very active, but um, who knows, Jerry, recumbent bike, maybe? <laughs> well, listen, I, just, I was hoping you you know, maybe there's something I don't know about, and, and you were up on it. But thank you for your time, and have a blessed day, Doctor. Oh, thank you, Jerry, for calling, and thank you for your support. Yeah, that's a tough one. And the shoulder joint, again, that's a complex joint. It gives us a lot of mobility, but that because of that, because we're able to move our arms so much in so many different directions, it's more susceptible to damage around that. And the tendons that sort of hold things in place are the ones a lot of times that get uh, overused and thin and torn and uh, mechanics of, of the shoulder joint are very important. Um, there are some, if you've just got tendonitis, that's the time to really pay attention to the physical therapist to request that if your physician's not giving you that as an option and see if that can help because those exercises can tone up those rotator cuff muscles and can keep the head of the humerus just where it needs to be in the joint. Once you get a tear, though, different different uh, scenario. All right, let's go to Judy. Good morning, Judy from Soche. Is that right? Yes. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say that I recommend robotic surgery. Mm-hmm. I recommend it very highly because I had a lower lumbar scoliosis that I was born with, and I pretty much suffered a lot during my life. The way that I would help it was with by practicing yoga, mm-hmm. and I had a backswing that I used. But I put it off so much because I heard so bad news about back surgery. Finally, when I was 75 years old, I had robotic back surgery with Dr. Nabib Thomas in New Orleans, and I have not had an ache or a pain since. I'm 85 right now, and I have not had an ache or a pain in all those years, so I recommend robotic surgery. Oh, that's great, Judy. I, yeah, it, the, the, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot more surgical methods that they can use and approaches. You know, twenty, even 20 or 30 years ago, a lot of the back surgeries involved, you know, cutting the back open, cutting through yeah. muscles and other tissues, and there was a lot of inflammation yeah. and scarring. But what you're talking about, it's very small incisions. Uh, it's very right. precise work. The The equipment is much, much better, the robotic equipment that they use. So if you are a candidate, and not everybody is a candidate, but most people might be a candidate for that type of surgery that's minimally invasive like that, uh, usually the outcomes are better. So I'm glad to hear that. Hey, thanks for mentioning yoga, uh, because that's one of those things that can help. Again, it's those core muscles, uh, Pilates, all kinds of different things that you can do to help strengthen those core muscles and take, uh, number one, it sort of puts your back a little bit. Now, scoliosis is different. As you mentioned, that's something you're born with, and it takes a lot of other things to try to correct that. Um, But it can certainly help out 
uh, to alleviate some of the long-term problems. And uh, even after you have surgery, that's real important to, to keep that up. Have you kept that up, Judy, after the surgery? Oh, absolutely. Good. I do my yoga every day, first thing in the morning. There's a station you can get to on, it's just like a public station. It's um, the Jewish public station on TV where they have yoga, and the lady is very good, and if people don't know anything about it, they can turn on their TV and just practice with her. And I do it every morning, and I'm very agile. I still can work full-time. I do practice my yoga every day, and... I'm in good shape. <laughs> that it certainly sounds that way. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly the. See, that should be our goal. Uh, we have health problems, but we want a goal of getting back where you can actually do things. And uh, Judy, hats off to you for that. And it certainly sounds like you've put in the hard work to get there. So, thank you for calling this morning. All righty. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you live this morning. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, plenty of time for your calls. We can. Uh, uh, can probably handle uh, five or six more calls here in the time that we have left. So call in this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this. everyone, I'm Russ Robinson inviting you to join us right here on MPB for Friday night. Under the lights, we'll get you all the scores and keep you up to date on all the players at 10 p.m. every Friday night this fall. Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Friday night under the lights. A resignation leaves the Federal Election Commission with just three members. They're supposed to have at least four. We can continue to do investigations that have already been authorized, but we can't authorize any new investigations. We can't issue any rules. We can't issue any advisory opinions. What this means for 2020, that's next time on The Takeaway from WNYC and PRI. Today at 2 on MPB Think Radio. Listen again to stories and shows at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you and uh, talking about all kinds of good things. Uh, great time, uh, as always, hearing all the kinds of questions. It certainly drives the program. That's what we like about Wednesdays on Southern Remedy is that you can call in with whatever questions you have, and uh, we'll do our best to answer. It may not always be the answer that you want, but we try to be truthful and steer you in the right direction. So let's go to Preston, who is in Four Corners, Mississippi. Tell me about yeah, that, Preston. Yeah, I'm up, on, I'm up on 25 Highway and 19. That's right there. Connection of a tower league and Shoba and Weston. Oh, doing? I got you. Okay. I All right. I did a ball game. <laughs> from anyway, I have a question. I, I missed part of one ball game. You're talking about as older you get, about to uh, getting constipated. What my problem was, I had a half of a colonoscopy done about a year and a half ago, and then last year, come down with a heart attack. I had to have a stent put in, so of course I can't uh, get the colonoscopy finished up because I'm still under the uh, on the blood thinner. Yes, yeah, yep. on the blood thinner and platelets, uh, I believe that's what it is, or something. That one of those that they got me on and. Uh, but I can't get the other half of the uh, colonoscopy done. So, gotcha. Uh, I, uh, my uh, well care and all that kind of stuff. I keep, I've been eating uh, this Danica yogurt, two cups of that stuff a day, which helps considerably, and a salt bland diet most of the time. You know, I, mm-hmm. that's what I eat. I can't eat anything hard. 
And I'm uh, what oh you were talking about taking his shop one time taking some kind of a stool softener that was foliage a uh, stool softener and a corn uh softener or some kind of stolen I was well, gonna get right corn support. I'll get right here in a minute. Now I've been taking uh one row corn supports each night and two of the softeners and uh I didn't get a chance to read that and I didn't understand what all you were telling them. Well, something about that black or whatever it was in those uh yeah, so so some of the medications like colase is one of them, or docusate is another name for it. So that's not as useful, it turns out, for preventing um, preventing constipation. Some of the stuff you mentioned is though anything that has like any kind of food. You don't even have. I mean, if you if you eat a lot of fiber in your diet, uh, a lot of times that can take care of the problem. And it's just stuff that. The way I tell people is a sort of a rule of thumb. If you have to chew it more, it's got more fiber in it. Um, that's that's insoluble particles that can help bulk up the stool, and it actually helps to move things through. Or if you look at food labels and you see insoluble fiber on there, and it's pretty high, it has a high percentage of your recommended daily allowance, uh, you, you want to be getting, you know, a good bit of that in your diet, and that can help with particularly if you're if you're looking at constipation. Uh, you know, Preston, I should mention this: constipation can be a symptom of other things as well. You know, as we get older, we so other things wear out. So thyroid problems are is a, is a common one too. So if if you know if you're if you're if you're going along just fine with your regimen, I wouldn't change it. But if you are having problems from time to time, that may be something that your physician might want to check is to see how well your thyroid gland is functioning. Because if it's not functioning up to speed, uh, constipation can be one of those symptoms that you get. Well, like I said, I, if I take this medicine like I was talking about every night, but I, you're talking about a long period of time. I've been doing this for a year and a half now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh, over a period of time. But as long as I take this, I usually get up and use it about from two or three times in the morning. You know? Right. Yeah. But, uh, when you were talking about the fiber, I used to eat the turnip greens or green beans and stuff like that, which I can digest pretty reasonable. But meats, anything other than fish, I cannot do it. Yeah, that doesn't have meat doesn't have a whole lot of fiber in it. It's it's plant products basically. So anything that's like just like you mentioned, the greens, uh, certainly uh, you know string beans, that kind of stuff, all that has a lot of fiber in it. Well, what about potatoes now? I'm not my day, uh, Regular potatoes don't have yeah. a lot. Sweet potatoes do. Well, I'm, not, I'm kind of getting that problem. I may have got over over gorge on some potato salad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not, probably, probably not a whole lot in that, but uh, a little bit of day. You know, just uh, you uh, know, a little bit of day should be fine. Well, this two I had had in there, in there, and pretty good. Well, I'm going to call it. Two ladies to make the salad myself. <laughs> myself. But anyway. Uh, I bought some, and I think I've ate four, uh, I don't know if that's three-pound buckets of this stuff, and they're high as two months. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> bit, Preston. It, so. All right. All right, well, you take care, and thank you for calling, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you, and I'm going to try. I mean, like I said, this is all new on the TV. It's got a whole screen I'm looking at now. Yeah. I'm, I'm an old-time TV uh, MVB listener, right. watching all this stuff, all the Ken Barnum programs and stuff. I get into all that. And I was telling the lady on the front end of the program I do. It, you know, well, I appreciate it. I'm glad both of y'all. You just uh, did this show, show on uh, Wednesdays. Yeah, there's a Southern Remedy every day of the week from 11 to 12. A little bit different on different days, but we're here on uh, Southern Remedy. I'm here on Wednesdays at 11. So tune in to us. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for calling, Preston. You take care. All right. We're going to go to Charles in Jackson. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Um, I, I'm about six months out from uh, what was described as a moderate stroke. I was in the hospital for about a, a six, uh, six days on the stroke unit and then in a nursing home for about a month. Now, my question is in regard to who is the proper person to be following me. Uh, as I said, six months out, and I have not seen a neurologist. I saw probably three dozen neurologists while I was in the hospital, but none since that time. And I've just been seeing uh, a nurse practitioner in the neurology department, and I'm not at all satisfied with the responses that she's giving me, 
and it seems that I raised kind of a kartoffel when I asked to see a neurologist. Now, is this is this so unusual? Are neurologists so busy that they can't see patients, or is it acceptable for them just to assign me to a nurse practitioner permanently? Yeah, Charles, that's a great question. So uh, in a lot of situations where, you know, in, in, particularly in Mississippi, we, have, we don't have a whole lot of neurologists. We actually need a much, much more. Um, and because of that, and because we have so many patients seeing them, uh, we've really relied on team-based care, and that includes nurse practitioners. So a lot of physicians would see somebody up front, and then they would sort of hand off to a nurse practitioner until there were problems that came up. Uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's out of the ordinary to request that you see you know a physician in the neurology clinic, uh, but a lot of times uh, nurse practitioners can help follow those patients over time, and uh, they're they're well trained. Uh, they're trained in those disciplines. You know we see the same thing in cardiology clinic or urology clinic or GI clinic. A lot of them do use nurse practitioners this this way to try to extend what they can to people, and it's. Although it's not something we've been used to in the past uh, because of not having a whole lot of, uh, of people in different fields, uh, they certainly help out a lot. We have a couple of nurse practitioners. I have some that uh, help me a lot and help our patients, and certainly we sort of tag team. A lot of times I'll see somebody once a year, and they'll see them uh, six months in between. But, Charles, I, I would just ask, you always want to feel comfortable and, and who's taking care of you. And if you're not satisfied, you know, maybe you could even, uh, you know, ask for a second opinion. Okay. But, yeah, that's that's not out of the ordinary. And it's not that they, you know, uh, they don't want to see you. It's that they're that's sort of the way the clinic is set up. And, you know, as physicians, we probably should do a little bit better job of doing that. A lot of times we don't explain to patients and families what to expect after something. But a neurologist or a neurologic specialist is somebody that you should be seeing after a stroke. You're absolutely right. They've got the best, uh, they've got the best uh, um, experience and training that you need to really deal with that. Somebody else that's another specialty sometimes is a PM and R, so that's physical medicine and rehab. So those are specialists that can help you get back to where you need to be or to a place where you can function after a stroke. So great question, uh, Charles. Good luck to you. We're up against the hour. I do appreciate your call and everybody else that called today. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. Our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.